The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. you made it before the storms came. Doesn't this remind you of last Monday when the eclipse was coming? If you were here, it rained the cats and dogs almost literally, and then we had an opening. How many of y'all saw the eclipse last week? Just most hands go up. Uh, I took Simeon down to his therapy in the afternoons where I study while he's at uh, preschool for about three or four hours at the hospital down at the plaza where Natalie works. And uh, it was interesting. All these doctors and nurses were looking up. I wish I would have had a picture, like 600 doctors and nurses looking up. I thought, I hope nothing happens in the hospital. But uh, if you're on the first floor, you're going to get a lot of flood of medical help for sure as God brings it. But uh, what a beautiful sight. Uh, God is so good. And what a, what a great break it was just uh, as our just as to be out and see neighbors who you may never see come out, go up and look at the sun with those funny glasses, you know. Uh, how many still have your glasses? Uh, please don't wear them today. You need to see the scripture, okay? So uh, I'm just kidding uh, as we do it. Well, I invite your attention this morning to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3, uh, verse 18. We've been here the last couple weeks, haven't we? Uh, we've been the last uh, three verses the last six weeks. Uh, praise the Lord, we're making a small inch here and there by God's grace. Uh, I just want to let you know that uh, Nathaniel King, Nathan, where you at, buddy? Uh, there you are. Raise your hand high. Uh, there you are. Very high. You're a tall guy. Uh, Mr. Nathan will be uh, Nathaniel, Nate, whatever he goes by these days. Uh, he'll be preaching for us next week as part of an internship he's doing with us. And so uh, you'll hear from Nathaniel next week over the, the guy you've asked me about, Thomas. We're going to get a little out of order through this, but it's okay. He's got Thomas. So if you're doubting, come. Uh, that'll be great. Uh, you can make it worth your while. Looking forward to it next week to be sure. As you turn there, if you're, if you're new to Tower View, you forgot your Bible. We're on page 838 in the blue Bible, page 838. Well, as we get started, I want to remind you of a great story. Uh, you, long before selfies were made, uh, selfies, you know, those things you take with your phone and you make yourself look much better than you probably, wait, no, that, that never happens. Uh, that's what Photoshop is for. But one thing that you know is we are a selfie generation. We love to take pictures of ourselves. But back in the day, many hundreds of years ago, to get your picture taken, you couldn't, obviously. That wasn't actually in film yet. You had to be painted. And usually only if you were of the uh, prim and proper class. And one man who got his, his uh, face painted is Oliver Cromwell. Many of you have heard that name before. He, Oliver Cromwell was known as the protector of England during the 17th century. And he sat down for his official portrait. And you're going to see this up on the screen. And I just want you to take note of his face for just a second. Uh, Oliver Cromwell. And he was, had a difficult decision to make because Oliver Cromwell had a problem on his face. He had more warts than a frog in a pond on a country road. How do you paint that? So there was a big dilemma, and there was a big elephant in the room, and there were a lot of big warts on his face, to be quite honest. He had lots of warts. So how would the artist paint his photo? I mean, what would you want to have? Would you want to have someone brush it off as they do with technology today? Or would you be honest? And so Cromwell asked the artist and said, how would you paint the picture? And the artist said, I am a God-fearing man. I have to paint your picture as it is. And he says, Cromwell said, great, use your skill to paint me. All my many warts 
and all. All, not many warts and all. I don't know if we can get it up there, Megan, or not, just for visual. Uh, the computer's coming as it is. But isn't that a realistic picture of how the Bible is? The Bible paints us warts and all. I don't know about you, but sometimes if you're on the Facebook media, I like to take pictures that make my angle look good and all that sort of thing. But this is, you see that big wart on his chin? That's one of them right there. And I'm not trying to make fun of him, but the point is, warts and all, do what you got to do. Don't edit it out. And as we study these 12 apostles, these 12 disciples, we are looking at men with warts and all, aren't we? We have studied several men, apostles as they are, the commissioned uh, men that Jesus sent out that had no training, had no prestige, had anything but prim and properness to them. They were willing to do whatever, but they had to be available. They had to be teachable, even with all the warts that they had over them, so to speak. So what kind of people does God use? If you're visiting with us or if you've been away for a couple weeks, let me just remind you of these facts. When we think of these 12 apostles, we think these were super guys, super saints, super Christians. But, and that can be kind of intimidating. I mean, we have St. Peter's Church. We have St. John's Basilica. We have uh, St. Andrew's Golf Course. Uh, if you're a golf fan, I got to putt that uh, back in the day, which is uh, the oldest golf course in the world. And we have more people in the USA named John. I'm looking at one of them in the back row right now. We, have, we had John Wycliffe. We had John Owen. We had John Calvin. We have John Bunyan. We have John Piper. We have John MacArthur. We have John Smith. We have my father, John Smith. We have John Higgins. We have a lot of Johns around here. And you know what we end up doing with these names of these apostles, even though they have warts, so to speak, like all of us do? We make them up and put them in stained glass windows and make them all canonized, and they loom larger than life, and that makes us little people, so to speak, ask the question, well, how can God use me? I'm not one of them. I mean, I, I mean I'm not them. But these 12 people were imperfect. They were faulted. They were weak like us. They were common people. I think this is why Proverbs 11:25 reminds us, as you'll see, that whoever brings a blessing will be enriched, and the one who waters will himself be watered. It doesn't matter what your skill is. It doesn't matter what your makeup is. It doesn't matter what your background is. It matters who you're serving as you do those things. The Bible says it matters not little you have or what little you are. It matters that you bring it to God and let him use it as it is. Be available, be faithful, be teachable warts and all. What kind of disciple of Christ, Christian, this morning on a rainy day, and it stopped raining a little bit hard out there, do you want to be? Are you content just being that person that kind of goes through church and does whatever you need to do to get by another Sunday to put on a Sunday face? Or are you okay with never serving him? Are you here and you say, Darren, I want nothing to do with this God? Or have you ever answered the question that ultimately comes up is, what am I doing to serve this God? Lord, my life isn't perfect. I want to serve you, but Lord, I'm just not them, whoever they are. Didn't you love that when your parents used to come up to you and you would say, well, they said this, and if they're smart parents, what did they ask you? Well, who's the they, right? Friends, many Christians come up to you and say, well, they say you can't serve here. They say you can't do this, or they say you can't do that, and there are biblical guidelines. But friend, a life yielded to God has no limit to what God can do through that life. 
That is what we know scripture to be true. And we're going to look at a guy today. If you can spell this out, if you can write this out without cheating, I will give you a high five after the service, and I promise you this. We are looking at a guy named Bartholomew, loosely known by Nathaniel today. And our big idea, our, our, our thesis sentence today is this, that like Bartholomew, like all the other disciples, my greatest needs are death to self, conformity to Christ, and a filling of the Holy Spirit. Because apart from these, I can never be a useful servant. May we pray, church, that the Lord would free us from attempts to be impressive or notice, that we may offer a non-anxious servant presence wherever we are, and that the Father may grant us fresh conviction, quick repentance, and a servant joy all the day long to his glory. Because that's how you serve, even with warts and all, just like we saw in the opening. Three pictures of grace today I want you to see in service. Three pictures of grace today in Bartholomew. Now, if you can spell it, you get a high five afterwards, but you've got to be honest about it, all right? First, I want you to look at his surname. I want you to know why his name is important. Secondly, I want you to see Bartholomew's servanthood. And finally, as we've often seen last, how he came to Christ. Christian, are you willing, like Bartholomew, to be a servant of servants, to be behind the scenes, no matter what it may cost you in, in, in reputation or advancement, to be unrecognized, to be thankless and unrestrained. Well, that is what Bartholomew did, even with all the warts that he had. And oh my, guys, he questioned Jesus in a way that you would never think he would. We'll get there. Will you join me in standing if you're able this morning in Mark chapter 3? We'll start in verse 13 and read down to verse 18. Mark chapter 3 and verse 13 through 18. Reading out of the ESV, the same uh, Bible as the Pew Bibles there. It says this, very familiar words if you've been with us, as you know. It says, and he went up, that's Jesus, went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired. He summoned them, and they came to him. And he appointed 12 whom he named apostles so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the 12, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boangres, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew and Philip. And there's that name, Bartholomew, we're going to skip this guy next week, Matthew, and then Thomas. And James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon, the Cananean, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Friends, you may feel like you have many warts in your Christian life that would prevent you from living out the life God has for you. Join the club, because guess what? We all have them, and guess what? God doesn't airbrush it off. He says, go with it. Trust me, and I will let you be served. I will serve and use you. Let's pray as we go before our Lord today. Father, I pray this morning as we enter in on a rainy Sunday morning, Father, uh, we are just reminded today that none of us can come to you and say, I've got it all figured out. I, I understand every mystery of the scriptures and every way to serve and the greatest uh, ways to evangelize every area, nook and cranny of our, uh, of our world. Father, forgive us for those times when, while we may not say it, we pridefully walk in it. Father, help us to be servant of servants. Help us to know what it means to be conformed to you, to sacrifice daily, to die to ourselves, Lord, to be filled with the Spirit. Otherwise, we are not useful vessels unto your glory. Father, forgive us this day, but thank you that your love abounds. Thank you, Lord. Your love for us is not dependent on our actions. Your love was flaunted for all, foisted and finished at the cross of Christ. Father, help us find our identity, our image, and our reputation in Christ and Christ alone. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you may be seated, guys. Thank you. 
three pictures of grace today in the service of, of Bartholomew. And Bartholomew, I, that is just one of those names, isn't it? I, it's just one of those names that if you name someone Bartholomew, you just expect them to have a silver spoon in their mouth when they're born, if you know what I mean. So what does this mean? I want you to see first off the, the grace of service in the surname. We don't use that often anymore, but the word surname is just the, the name of, of, of Bartholomew. And Bartholomew means the son of Polmai. You say, where in the world do you get that? Well, it comes from the Greek, but Bartholomew was actually his last name. Actually, his last name, and we'll get to that. But that you see that word bar there in front of his name. That actually means son of. Bar means son of. So many of you know Barnabas, son of. Anyone know this? Son of. Encouragement, you know that. Uh, there's uh, there's uh, Barabbas. He was the son of, uh, uh, I can't get his name off correctly, but Bar, Bartholomew. But he's also called Nathaniel in Scripture. Nathaniel is in John chapter 1, and we will get there. But he's always called Bartholomew, the sixth disciple, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Acts. John, being one of his close confidants, is the only one that calls him by his birth name, Nathaniel. Very interesting. So his name was actually Nathaniel Bartholomew. So if you're taking it, we just had a baby born. Congratulations, by the way, Gilbert and family. Uh, you didn't have a baby, or, or you did have a baby. You have a boy, so no Nathaniel, no Bartholomew, but if, just in case you're looking, you have it next time. <laughs> Nathaniel means God has given. God has given. And prophecy and a promise of his life that God would give him grace and goodness to follow his plan through all his life, and God must have given that. But outside of this small reference in Mark and, and the list of disciples and a small interaction in John we'll get to later, we really know nothing about the background of Bartholomew. There is tradition coming out of the 4th century that says Bartholomew went to India as one of the first missionaries, and we have some old church history, but I emphasize that it's just tradition. That's not, we don't know that for sure. But we know nothing about his father, Polmai. He's just a regular guy. Haven't you heard that a lot? seems like we get that a lot in the study. These are just regular Joes, regular guys. And in John 2, uh, or John 21 and verse 2, we do know that he came from Cana of Galilee, Bartholomew did. Uh, I'm sorry, John 2, uh, the first miracle with Jesus, John 2, we know that. And Cana is a small, small town due west of the Sea of Galilee, really in the middle of nowhere. No, it's one of those towns, if you grew up in one of these towns, it didn't even have a blinking light. Do you know what I'm saying? If you were big time in small town, wherever, if you had a blinking light, you were big city if you had a stoplight in your town, right? And a Casey's gas station with pizza to boot. That's how you knew you were a big town. But Cana didn't have that. You didn't go to Cana. It wasn't on a trade route. It wasn't on a merchant's route. It wasn't on anywhere. You went to Cana to go there just because you went there. What do we know from this? We know that he came from a small town in the middle of nowhere, and he had a relationship with someone by the name of Philip. We looked at him last week. Friends, why do I bring this up? Why study his name? Well, it's important because it's a reminder to you of this. Don't make your life about you. It's not about your glory, your kingdom. You are to live for God's glory, not your own. I think there's something to be said about these disciples that God brings them from corners of the earth that you would never go to. I mean, if I said, how many of you have been to Tightwad, Missouri? You know, you've driven through Tightwad, Missouri on the way to the Ozarks, Jack. I see your hand back there. 
or if you've been to Grayson, Missouri, or some small, obscure town, you would say, no way. Who wants to stop in whatever place, Missouri, wherever it is? Well, friends, if God has called you from the big city, the small city, the suburbs, Christ delights in calling extraordinary people to do extraordinary things. Ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And that is what we know. He very rarely uses, God very rarely uses church people from prominent backgrounds with PhD next to their name or, or, or a 401k that could feed us all for the rest of our lives. God works through common places and common people. You don't have to be in the upper crust or the elite background. That actually may be an obstacle, a sin obstacle you have to overcome. You know, so often we say, well, Darren, if, uh, if Floyd Mayweather would become a Christian and have a big fight on Saturday night, everyone sleeps through church floor. Right, honey, we were talking about this, weren't we? You know, if God saved Floyd Mayweather or Conor McGregor, if you were into that fight thing last night, then everyone would come to know Jesus. I mean, who wouldn't want it? You know, if Rocky got saved, wouldn't, wouldn't people just like come to Christ all the time? Or if that great Nashville singer out of Nashville got saved, by golly, think of all the people that came to Christ. Or if the biggest billionaire in the world came to know Jesus, I mean, Darren, wouldn't that spark revival in our nation? Don't we often think that? Why do we think that way? Because we think, and God can use this. God can use influence. But we think if that person got saved, or in high school, the, 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 the captain of the quarterback who lived one life in front of the teachers and did the party life on the side, God, if you could save that person, all the cheerleaders, the guards, the tackles, the running back, even the tight end could get saved, God, by your glory. But friends, let us remind ourselves that some of the greatest missionary work was done by common people without any training, without anything else. Bartholomew was a common guy. And one thing we need to know is that the angels rejoice no less when a poor and unknown person is saved than when a rich and famous celebrity is saved. Let us rejoice likewise. Amen? As you'll see that on the screen. The kingdom of God has always been advanced by a common people from a common background and a common family. And if that is true, you have a soulmate in Bartholomew. You just like to say the name like I do, right? Call him Bart if you want to. You and Bart got your thing going because you both were common. The Lord is continuing today, even in Tower View, to recruit and enlist men, women, teenagers, children to work in his kingdom who come from common places and backgrounds. And no one can ever look and say, well, look what I've done. I'm great. We're all equal at the cross. It is what God does through a person for his glory. Now, I had to really look to find this picture, and I think you'll find it very interesting. How many of you remember these days? And you might show your age a bit, but praise the Lord for it. We don't have these anymore, but you had gas station attendants, right? Uh, now everything says self-serve. I don't know if there's any more uh, non-self-serves around. If you do, let me know. In Oregon? Okay, in Oregon. Uh, that's an interesting place because they're, they're kind of pulled. It's by law. Okay, well, that might be good or bad. I don't know what that would be. But there is a true story that came out of a, a story of a future Fortune 500 company CEO who pulled in to get gas back in the 60s. And he went inside to pay. And when he came out, he noticed his wife was talking to the service station attendant. And oh boy, that was her former boyfriend. Uh-oh. And here's what happened. The CEO got in the car and they drove down in silence for a while. And the man was not sure what he would say, would say but he was feeling pretty good about himself. Fortune 500 CEO gas station attendant. My wife, not his. And he looks at his wife and says, honey, I know what you're thinking. 
aren't you glad you married a Fortune 500 CEO and not him, the service station attendant? And in a way a wife only could, she said, no, I was thinking if I'd married him, he'd be a Fortune 500 CEO and you'd be a service station <laughs> attendant. Let that sink in for a second. <laughs> Wives, sometimes we need to be reminded, don't we? We need to be put in our place. But I think what this illustration reminds me of is how often we go to God and say, God, you know what? Aren't you happy you have me on your team? God, aren't you grateful that at this point you chose me, Lord? Woo, aren't you? Wow, God, aren't you so blessed to be impressed? Woo, this looks good. And God is like that smart, wise woman in that thing and says, look, I chose you. It wasn't you that chose me. I, you love because you first loved me. And what a humbling, but what an encouraging thing that is. Friends, we can no longer save ourselves. We can't lose our salvation. And by extension, our service is not in our own strength. It's in his strength, and it's his opportunity. It's for his kingdom. It's for his everything. And that's what Bartholomew was about. Now, many of you wives are trying to think about how you can find a gas station attendant so you can have the same conversation with your husbands later on as it is. But I want you to remember that God uses common people for his purposes. He doesn't want a showboat. He doesn't want an internal showboat that you may never be prideful on the outside, but you're welling up on the inside. He wants people who say, I am yours. Take me where you will. I am yours. However it is, Lord, that is what I want. And that's what the disciples came to be. That is his surname. I want you second to see his servanthood, his servanthood, Bartholomew's servanthood. And we'll stay there in verse 18. I want you to look back there. I want you to count with me. Uh, you got your counting glasses on, and I want you to count with me, starting in verse 17, actually verse 16. Let's count them. Simon, got your fingers ready? Simon's one. James, John, Andrew, Philip, and where do we land? Number what? Number six, right? We're on number six. So he's number six on the list. Bartholomew is number six, not really... The, you know, Philip at least was the, the leader last week of the second group of four, right? We talked about that. The first group was closest to Christ, Peter, James, and John. They were there for maximum exposure to all of his ministry. But the second group, Philip, is always first. And Bartholomew, Nathaniel, as he's known in John, is number six. And on other lists, he's in different numbers. But he's not lesser in importance, but in role. Bartholomew is always supportive of his best friend, Philip. How do we know their best friends? John 1, we'll get there in just a little bit, I've said. But Bartholomew is not only to be second in the group, but he's a supporter of the second. He is a man who's a servant of servants. He doesn't want to be the leader of the second group of four. He doesn't want to lead Thomas, the spiritual roller coaster. He doesn't want to lead Philip. He doesn't want to lead uh, Matthew. He just wants to be a servant. And what I want you to remember is don't assume that number one on the list is most important. Wasn't it Jesus himself? And I think the royals are stealing a page book by this, by the way. The first will be last and the last will be first, I think is kind of how that goes. But that was Peter. He was first. He put his foot in his mouth more than he could say or do anything else. Friends, the kingdom of God is not advanced by Peter's. It's not advanced by John's necessarily, but it's advanced by Bartholomew's, Nathaniel's of the body, who have a ministry at the most root level and who have a connection with the needs of the people. Peter's come and go. Peter's blow a lot of hot air, and they do. 
Peters can come and go, but the Bartholomews, you folks in the church who serve so well, not wanting to be number one or even number two, number four, number five, but you want to be number six because you just want to be in the mix for God's glory for wherever he is. Bartholomew can serve the Lord, but there's, there, that's where the rubber meets the road. He never wrote five books like John, Bartholomew. He never wrote a gospel. He never commanded. Uh, he ne- wasn't a commanding person like James. He wasn't continually bringing people to Christ. At least there's no record of it. He was a servant of servants, and that was okay. And he was faithful. He was faithful. He was content to be in his place among the 12 and to accept it as God's will for him. You know, it was a great story of a businessman back in the 1970s uh, that had come to know Jesus Christ, and it did not list his name. And I know this is to be true as far as I can do the research on it, but this businessman was climbing the corporate ladder, and someone, his secretary, shared the gospel with him. And he fired the secretary on the spot and said, how dare you question me about Jesus Christ? Out of here you go. The man went home that night single. He, worked, he was a workaholic, and he, was just, he couldn't get the question that the secretary asked him out of his head. If you died tonight, where would you spend eternity? That man went home and spent all night and got out the old Bible that his mama gave him back in the World War II, even before World War II, 30s and 40s era, and he read it, and he came to know Jesus Christ. And you know what he did the next day? He went in and he submitted his resignation and said, I'm building on the wrong kingdom. I'm leaning on the wrong wall. I want to go and serve Jesus Christ. And this man, according to the article, and I believe it to be true, came to be one of the biggest backers of places like FCA, of Campus Crusade for Christ. They don't list his name because they don't want him to be known for what he did. But friends, this man came from the top of the top of the top to not even wanting his name listed on any benefactor list anywhere because he had seen that Christ was worth it. That was Bartholomew. It's a great lesson for us, and you'll see this on the screen. Megan will put it up. But true greatness of a person is in the Lord's eyes. True greatness is using ourselves for God's end in the lives of others. Listen, you may or may not be at the top today. You may have your organization chart upside down. God's often is. We should desire for God's hand to be upon us. The question is how. You may not be the most gifted. You may be the loudest one in the room. You may be the best looking one in the room. But it is the one who is most humble that God uses as his servant. You find these people in places that are not popular or visible where they serve. You find them behind houses and in buildings away from the public spotlight. Their eye of the Lord beholds them, Proverbs 15, 3, and they take the towel in the basin like Jesus did and serve as they serve as they serve as they serve. Going to take another world to discover who the great Christians are. I can just imagine, can't you on that day, as God would have it, perhaps, I don't know this, this is purely pastoral conjecture, let me say that. But on that great day when we stand before and God is dishing out the crowns of righteousness or the crowns of service for him and the service we did for him, can you imagine him calling up Peter, James, John, and Andrew and him saying, no, 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 you guys go sit over there. I think there's a sense in Scripture where he may call up Philip, Bartholomew, Thaddeus, all these guys you'll never hear about, and those guys were actually the ones who were serving faithfully as they were. 
Friends, some of the most faithful servants of Christ will never be up front. They'll never be in the state newspaper. They'll never be on any email, Facebook post anywhere. They are serving because they know Christ is their eye and their motivation. And that is what it is. To the degree we humble ourselves, may the Lord exalt us. But let me just say this. If not in this life, but on the final day, he will do that. Can I challenge you with something this week? At least 10 times tomorrow, will you remind yourself of this fact? God, God gives grace to the humble, but resists the proud. God gives grace to the humble, but gives resists the proud. You'll see up on the screen. God gives grace to the humble, but resists the proud. Why is it, if you serve in the church, why is it that you serve? What's your motivation? Darren, there's a need. Uh, you know, Judy put it in the bulletin. Awesome, thank you. What is your motivation for serving? What's your motivation for doing things in the church? What is it? It's that God would be glorified. God would be lifted high. Friends, so often, that's so easy to slip out of, isn't it? So easy to slip out of. Would you pray, no matter where you're serving, if you're not serving somewhere, come find us. We'll find you a place. You might need to clean the gutters because the, the, the rain's coming so hard as it works. We'll find you a place. But would you pray, God, whatever it is, keep me humble. Keep me humble. I've shared with you before that one of the greatest temptations in pastoral ministry is to get a niche on the market. If I can just get in this conference, or I can just write this book, or if I can just, you know, get my name out and get a thousand followers on Twitter, then, then, then I'll climb the, the, the pastor ladder. May that never be so for any of us. Darren, is it wrong? Someone asked me this this week. It got me thinking, is it wrong to take a promotion at work? I mean, if God gives you that, is it wrong to take it? What are you going to do with that? That's the question, isn't it? What are you going to do with it? Is it an area of service for you? Or is it an area of, well, it's an area of pride. Well, I've worked hard for this, Lord. I'm going to take this promotion whether you like it or not. Okay, Jonah, I'll, I'll see you next week when the fish swallows you alive. That's how that goes. But one thing you need to know, wherever God places you, be humble. Let me give you an example. This picture is old, and I know it's old, and I'm using a lot of old examples. Uh, you can do that. I love that look, by the way. You can do the the philosophical thing. This is, this is a pastor who had a very prominent church in Canada in the 1840s. His name was John Getty, no relation to Chris, Keith and Kristen Getty, the hymn writers. But he left his pastorate, a big pastorate in Canada, which in Canada, if you have a big church, that's a pretty, you have polar bears, Eskimos, and a big church. That's a pretty good thing. But he decided because the Lord was calling him to take his wife and two children to the South Sea Islands to begin a mission work there. After a voyage that literally took them over 10,000 miles on the sea, they arrived in the new, and I, Gilbert, I did not ask you about this, and I don't know if it's even near Papua, but the new Hebrides Islands at Antium. I am killing those words there. He's looking at me funny, so I'll just take that as a nod as it is. Here's the catch, guys. The island chain was full of cannibals. Yes, cannibals. You know, they don't eat pizza, if you know what I'm saying. They, they, it, it takes a little bit more than that. And a British ship had, had crashed there even about 10 years before, and, and literally the crew had been, uh, uh, they, were, they were supper uh, before these, this missionary family showed up. Pastor Getty faced the difficulty of not only learning a language that had not been written, but he was on the constant threat of being killed. Slowly at first, a few converts came, and soon many more received the gospel, and he continued his faithful ministry without much ado, without much limelight, and it includes translating the entire book. Whoa! 
Are you ready to serve in the church? I'm not Luke Burton, who got, made the lights go out three weeks ago, but that's pretty close. <laughs> Woo! Let's all take a deep breath. You ready? Whew. Wow. You're awake now. <laughs> Thank you, Cameron. That was good, uh, good pyrotechnics, brother. I appreciate that. <laughs> Man. But you know, uh, for many years, John Getty labored with little help and little word from home, but, but God was faithful. And in the pulpit of the church that Getty found on this island, so many years stood a plaque, and I want to read this to you. It's exactly quoted. I, I, I had a picture of it. It was too grainy, so I just put up pictures of him. But it said this about his ministry. When he landed in 1848, there were no Christians here. And when he left in 1872, there were no non-Christians here. Wow. This was a man who had everything pastorally, probably had a very comfortable life in 1840s in Canada that said, you know what, I'm willing to go to a place that's obscure, that quite frankly, I could be eaten alive, to the place that he would serve. Friend, Bartholomew, and we're going to his passage now, was a man who was a servant of servants because he wanted to serve. He wasn't the leader. He was a servant of servants. But even as a servant of servants, he realized that only Christ could do the work. Never underestimate what God can do through you if you are faithful to him, not for your glory, but all for his and the advancement of his kingdom. I think with the power, we're going we're gonna to jump through and no double time take this day, Doug, is uh, uh, we'll, we'll jump straight to the end here, salvation. Let's look at that. You have seen Bartholomew's surname, common name. He's a servant. Finally, if you'll go with me to John chapter 1, we've been here several times the last several weeks. Bless God for uh, giving us this instance of John. John 1.43, and I just want to go back to this. Uh, you've, you've highlighted and underlined several weeks now, but John 1.43. And I want you to see Nathaniel and his salvation as he came to Christ. John 1.43, and I'll read it. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip. And I want, I, just stop right there. Let that sink in. Philip did not find Jesus. Jesus found Philip. Friends, that's sovereign grace. We don't find Jesus. Jesus finds us. Let that sink in. That is your salvation. And he calls him, not with a one-year plan, but he says two words, follow me. That's a call to repentance, as we've seen. Skip down to verse 45, and it says, Philip found who? Nathaniel. That is Bartholomew. John uses his first name, not his last name, his surname. But the first step here, he says, Philip found Nathaniel. And said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Do you want to know what real Christianity is all about? And you will see this up there. Real Christianity is reserved for sinners who hit rock bottom only to find Jesus there. And they gather other sinners in honest community. That is what real Christianity is. Philip was a man who was proud. Philip was a man, as we saw last week, as humble as he was at times. Philip was the man who got the information, but he was a details guy. You remember that? He was an analytical guy. He was a count the beans kind of guy. And Philip gets so excited. He goes to Nathaniel and says, we found him. We found him. We found him. And trust me, that was not in Philip's calendar that he set up with five alarms so he doesn't miss any of them on all the calendars he had on his smartphone. He went because he knew Christ. And as soon 
as Philip was converted, the alarm went off to tell his best friend, Nathaniel. These guys were buddies. Philip found him. He said, we. Who's the we here in verse 45? We. So that would be Peter, James, John, all those guys in the uh, verses before that. He identifies with them. We have found him. He says, look, you can know. Look, he said, we have found him. Friends, you can know something about Jesus and head straight to hell, but you can know the, you, you are not saved. Let me just say it this way. You are not saved by the plan of salvation. You're saved by the man of salvation. You are not saved because you parrot a prayer. You're not saved because you, you just get excited like Philip. You are saved if you're saved because you know that you have found Jesus. Rather, he has found you. And we don't have time to unpack all this, but the law and the prophets, everything, Philip says, Nathaniel, the guys we've been reading about since we were little Jewish boys, he's here. He's come. Let's do it. And you know what's interesting here? Look at verse 46. Look at Nathaniel's response. Nathaniel said to him, can you hear the chin-up retort coming? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him. What a great reminder to us. And Megan will put this up. Find, you will find Jesus in every Bible story before you find yourself in it. What I mean by that is the Bible is not about you. It's about Jesus and corporate worship coming together like you're doing today is meant to remind us that it's not about us. It's not about you. It's about God. It's about everything. And it's hard to admit our limits, but Philip says, or Nathaniel says, look, that's not in the Bible I read. Nazareth, are you kidding? Those are uneducated people. They're backwoods. They're unprosperous. They, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And look at what Philip told him. He said, come and see. He didn't argue with him. He's not saying, I don't disagree with you. These are some odd folks. He just simply says, we have found the Messiah. Friends, what we need to know is what Jesus goes on to say. And I just want to camp here for the next few minutes as we close out here. But what was Nathaniel guilty of? Think about this. What was he guilty of? What was he guilty of? Was it sinful prejudice? I mean, Nathaniel's wrong. He's made a mistake. And we'll read those verses in just a second. Jesus does not come out of, come out of Nazareth. He's good. He's, he's all those things. But Nathaniel will have to eat his words. Look at this. Go over to verse 47, 46. Come and see. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming towards him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. And Nathaniel knows he's been caught. He's, he, Jesus has caught him in his words. Nathaniel said in verse 48, How do you know me? And Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw him. And Nathanael answered, Rabbi, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Verse 50, no, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. When Philip gets so excited that he goes and tells Nathanael, he says, come and see. What was Nathanael guilty of? Was it sinful prejudice? One way to describe it would be to say that it was sinful prejudice against the people of Nazareth. He had what we call a stereotype for the people based on what Jesus and all the people coming out of them. It was negative. Nathaniel had something that said these are not good people, or at least not great people. Well, maybe he was just guilty of a probability judgment. I mean, there's another way to describe it. I mean, he made a generalization. I mean, Darren, is that wrong? I mean, we do this with, with, with mushrooms all the time, right? 
you generalize all the time. You've learned that you don't eat these mushrooms. And this is a PSA for you, public service announcement. If you do, don't eat these, right? We want to see you next Sunday in the pew, Lord willing. But he said, my experience is that folks of Nazareth are ordinary, even ornery. And I don't see the Old Testament that the Messiah can come from Nazareth. So Philip, therefore, from these general observations, I think it's mighty improbable, if not impossible, that Jesus the Messiah cannot come from there. You're wrong, Philip. He generalized. Or what about this? Say you, you know that you're driving along the Kitbon Bridge, and, and you see this beautiful picture like this up on the screen. But sometimes your judgment seems totally legitimate, and it proves to be dead wrong. It was 10 years ago, hard to believe, 10 years ago this week, many of you remember this, that the I-35 West Bridge in Minneapolis collapsed. Do you remember that? Some of you? Where people were driving along it in the morning to go to work and coming out of downtown Minneapolis in the afternoon, evening, and it collapsed. But we make generalizations sometimes and judgments that seem totally legitimate but, but unknowingly prove to be dead wrong. But it was not a sinful judgment. It was well warranted in cases like that. Or let me give you one in our case in America. This is not, guys, this is not political speech I'm about to share. This is just sharing what it is. If I put a picture up like this, many of you may think that this person is out to do something terrible. And maybe they are. I don't know. But if I pass a man with certain features and dress in a certain way, I form a probability judgment that he may be Somali and a Muslim. And I, I could be wrong, but that's what my brain has taught me to do. Say, Darren, well, what does this mean? Well, let me give you one more example. If this car pulls up behind you on the highway with red flashing lights going down 48th Street, from your experience, you can probably guess that's a police car. But you're also going to look at that and say, did that just come out of Havana, Cuba? That's from the 1950s. Where did that thing come from? That's out of an old show. Is it a cop or is it not? Friends, Jesus doesn't condemn generalizing. We generalize things all the time. Jesus talked about the weather in Matthew 6, 2. He said, you say it's fair weather for the sky is red. In the morning, it'll be stormy for the sky is red and threatening. Jesus told them, you know how to interpret the appearance of the sky. What's your point, Darren? The point with Nathaniel Bartholomew is this. After he got saved, before he got saved, there's a fine line between legitimate probability judgments and sinful prejudice. God sees it even when we don't. And my concern is that we plead with you not to let the legitimacy of probability or function or generalizing in your heart be a self-justification for sinful prejudice. As a Christian, we can do the exact same thing that Nathaniel did to a person of another skin type, a person of another background, a person of another, I use this a lot, a person of another college team. College football starts on Saturday. This is going to arrive up pretty quickly. You can look at someone and say, you know, that person must be boom, 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 before you've even met him. So what do we do? Let me give you three things as you close, and we'll close out Nathaniel. He got saved eventually, guys. He did. He called Jesus the Son of God. But even before that, how you treat people is how we are really treating Jesus. What I mean by that is this. Nathaniel came and said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, really, do you, Philip, will you listen to what, this is Nazareth, Philip. This is Nazareth. God's not going to go to Nazareth, Philip. Come on. You know better than this. Friends, be careful. Charlottesville, Virginia was just a few weeks ago. And I'm not here to make judgments on either side of that coin except to say this. All people are created in God's image. All people need the gospel, especially the gospel. 
red, yellow, black, and white, we are all precious in their sight. Amen? And we need to know that. But one thing, how we treat people, the random people in our neighborhood, the random people we meet at Walmart late at night, that, that, that whatever it is, how we treat people is an evidence of how we believe Jesus is living in our lives. That's a tough one, and I've had to really think about that, and I mean that. This is very risky because we are looking at a passage of a common person making a common statement, but a good heart desires to know people and treat people for who they really are as individuals, not simply as a probability, judgment, or generalization. If this were not so, Jesus could never be recognized for who he is. Do you desire to know people and treat people not as merely samples of their group, but as individuals? Now, let me draw the line in the sand here. This does not mean that you have to agree with everything that everyone else does. Friends, we believe as Baptists in what we call religious liberty, we believe that everyone has the right to believe what they want to believe, but at the end of the day, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Amen? We know that. You can respect someone's beliefs without agreeing with their beliefs. And what this teaches us in Nathaniel is that how we treat people is how we are really treating the Savior of those people. Second thing, I, I just want to bring this out as we close. Let's give people more the benefit of the doubt. Let's give them the benefit of grace. Don't assume motives about people this good heart desires, is willing to take risk and act negative towards expectations or stereotypes. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, 7, love believes all things, hopes all things. And I think he meant that what love strives to believe and hope is for the best and not for the worst. Aren't you great sometimes when you have a Philip in your life, when you say, no, those people can't be that way. And someone comes along and says, come, come and see. Can I relate that to church relations here? We have a very motley crew as a church. And I'm not talking about the old 80s rock band. We have a motley crew as a church. We have people from blue collar. We have people from white collar. We have people who are retired. We have people who have been in the church for a long time. But friends, we are one in the body of Christ. Let these lessons here start in this room. You may not have the same interests as someone else, but you have the same Savior. You may not have the same background as someone else, but you have the same Jesus who died as a propitiation for your sin. That's why, finally, we need to glory in the gospel. And yes, I'm going to say the word. We need to decry racism, friends. We need to love our neighbors, forgive extravagantly, work for justice, stay humble, laugh out loud, and repent quickly. Let me just be very clear in my words here. I'm not advocating for a social uh, a gospel of social justice. There is one gospel. Jesus died. He was buried. He rose again. He's coming again. That is what we believe. But with that comes the challenge to us in 21st century America to look around and say, have I had my Nathaniel moment with people or am I praying that I would see folks as God sees them? That doesn't mean their sin is any less heinous in God's sight as yours wasn't. It doesn't mean that, 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 that God, we should not pursue laws. and That's not what we're saying. But we are saying that all of us, if we're honest, have the moment where we say, I don't like that group of people. I hate those people. How can God love them? But what did Jonah say? Remember Jonah? Jonah had that same bit, didn't he? And God said, Jonah, that's not for you to worry about. Your job is just to be faithful and love them. You are not a Messiah. I wrote this on Facebook this last week. You are not a Messiah. Jesus is. Love people, serve people, and trust them to the Lord. That's what we know to be true.
May the Lord give us absolute, like Nathaniel, to repent quickly and fully. Notice what he does, friends. Notice he doesn't argue with Jesus. He doesn't come back to Jesus and say, no, Jesus, you don't understand Nazareth. I've been there. They're weird. They like to drink tea without sweetener in it, without sugar. What are they doing? Jesus, they don't even like pizza. They like bonbons. Jesus, they don't even like potato chips. They like those cheap, knockoff, all the veggie chips that are supposed to be more healthy for you. You just don't know these people, Jesus. Look what he says. Behold, an Israelite, verse 47, as Nathanael walked up in whom there's no deceit. Nathanael said, how do you know me? And Jesus tells him, he saw him. And Jesus not only saw him, he knew him from eternity past. He knew all about him. And Nathanael didn't argue with him. He just simply said, you are the son of God. Friends, may our response to everything we face in our culture not be to sacrifice biblical principle, biblical text, but to love large, to trust God even larger, and to faithfully, verbally share the gospel, the only message that will change. Politics will fail. Plans of men will fail. But the word of God endureth forever. That is what we know. Let's pray as we go. Father God, as we...